Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. Hey, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles, um, now you could turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to continue in our series, uh, our Christmas series, our Advent series this year, uh, a beautiful, scandalous love story. I know, I got a little melodramatic one day. I was feeling it, right? But we heard, so in week one, in week one, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph, right? Um, so we're going to see, in the next slide, we're going to see the birth of Jesus Christ this month um, through the eyes of a pregnant teenage mother-to-be, an unwed pregnant teenage mother-to-be. There's a little technicality in there. A husband, a young husband with a lot on his mind. Shepherds just out doing their job. And next week on Christmas Day, wealthy rulers seeking the Savior. Seeking the Savior. So, next slide. Week one, we said, the angel said to Joseph, he said, do not be afraid. And I love the Christmas story because think about it. If an angel appeared to you or an angel, you were asleep and had this, this terrifying dream, you and I would be terrified just like Joseph, just like Mary, and just like these shepherds. They all had this in common. The angel of the Lord appears to them. There is some fear, right? I'd be like, okay, really? Is this a dream? Uh, yeah, what's going on here? And it says that the shepherds, like the others, it says they were terrified. And so the angel of the Lord says to each of them, do not be afraid. So week one, title of the sermon was, for Joseph, nothing to fear. So we heard about this scandalous engagement in week one, where this teenage betrothed teenage girl shows up pregnant, right? And the Holy Spirit, we hear in week two, the Holy Spirit says, uh, to Joseph, well, the Holy Spirit says to Joseph, do not be afraid to take her as your wife, for this child that she has is conceived in her of the Holy Spirit. So the angel asked a lot of Joseph, did he not? One, he said, Joseph, who is a descendant of King David, which is important, right? Uh, one, he said, finish the marriage process and take her into your home. And then for Joseph to become his father, and this was cool, I did not know this, this was great, that Joseph he said, and you shall call him, his name shall be called Jesus, or you will name him Jesus. Joseph needed to be the one to give Jesus his name, which would complete, remember we talked about this, it completed the adoption process for Joseph. So week one, Joseph, a tough call, right? Tough call from the Lord. Has the Lord ever asked you to do something very challenging and you knew you were supposed to do it in order to obey the Lord, right? So one, God says, Joseph, trust me, uh, God's doing something here. Your wife is pregnant. She hasn't been with anybody else. Okay, think about that, guys. You, you, wait, you, know, you have this dream, right? Your girl is pregnant. You're getting ready to get, right? Okay, we won't go any further. And, and, and then God says, not only that, I want you to finish marrying her, have the wedding ceremony, take her into your home, and then name this baby because he's going to be your son as well. And so week two, Anthony preached last week, and um, he preached... Uh, from seeing the birth of Jesus Christ through Mary, a pregnant teenage girl, uh, mother-to-be. And the theme was nothing, nothing is impossible with God, right? The angel appears to Mary. Hey, 
you got a tough assignment here, Mary. And what does she say? I am a willing servant of the Lord. Anthony challenged us last week. Anthony challenged us last week in his sermon. Hey, again, when God calls you to do something tough, are you going to be ready? Are you, gonna, are you and I going to be prepared? Are we going to be ready to faithfully serve God like Joseph did, like Mary did? When you get that tough assignment. You know, we talk a lot. We talk about it in experiencing God, that if God calls you to do something, he will prepare you for, to that for that to which he is calling you. So we don't, we all have anxiety, let's be real, right? Sometimes we have fears about what God might be calling us to do or who God might be calling you to be. Uh, we have those fears. But God will not call you to do something or call you to take that next step in the journey without preparing you for that. And watch this. I will never leave you or forsake you. He will be with you. Oh, Anthony preached it much better last week. I'm not going to mess it up. And so, so but again, here, um, seeing the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior, through the eyes of a teenage girl last week. This morning, uh, in our... Uh, in our time this morning, we're going to talk about bringing the good news. So the angel of the Lord appears to the shepherds the same way. And he says again, right, do not be afraid. You all know what I like to say? He told them, don't be scared. A football player at Liberty University gave his testimony one day in Convo. And I had a bunch of kids down there on campus. And uh, he was up giving a testimony, great big football player from Tennessee. And uh, uh, he said, don't be scared. Don't be scared when the Lord calls you to do something. And so here we are. These angels, uh, uh, these shepherds, there's just some guys, just some regular guys out doing their job one night. So, but interesting about the shepherds, right, there's always this ongoing debate. Um, there's a difference in opinion um, among theologians and Christians regarding how we portray the shepherds. So we're going to talk about this for a minute this morning. Um, by the way, if you're a note taker, um, you, we'll keep it real simple tonight. Number one will be receiving good news from the Lord. You don't have to go there yet. Selena, number two, responding to the good news. But really, I'm tricking you because there's stuff going under each one of them. But two points. I like simple. Simple works for me. Receiving the good news, responding to the good news. Amen? All right, here we go. So traditionally, these shepherds are portrayed, and have you ever heard this growing up? Like at the bottom of the social and economic ladder. People say this, right? I've even heard them described in Christmas stories as dirty, unclean, social outcasts. And I'm like, man, that's kind of harsh, y'all. But you probably heard that, right? Um, and I think we like that traditionally because it further underscores God's, and particularly Jesus's, way of turning things upside down, right? Jesus would love and care for the sinner. Jesus would love and care for the prostitute, the tax collector, and yes, even lowly shepherds in the fields watching over their flocks at night. But there is better evidence, um, and by the way, it's going to be a both and, right? But we like to create this healthy tension. Um, and so I remember the shepherds being portrayed this way, but there's better evidence for the idea the shepherds were not viewed as social outcasts. Think about the overarching biblical portrayal of shepherds throughout the Bible. Think about the description of shepherds in the Old and New Testaments um, that would be formative uh, for, for in our minds. So, beginning in the Old Testament, right, there's this guy named Abraham. We know who Abraham was. 
guess what? Abraham was a shepherd. He was a wealthy shepherd, right? Genesis 13 describes him as having much livestock, herds, and flocks of sheep. Abraham, the, God, the man with whom God made a covenant that all of Israel would come out of Abraham, was a shepherd. How about Moses? Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness, in the, in the, in the tending sheep for his father-in-law, Jethro. And look, if your father-in-law's name is Jethro, just know he don't play, right? That's just like, man, if my father-in-law's name was Jethro, I'd be like, mm, I'd probably do whatever he said. So Moses spends 40 years as a shepherd. Uh, and meanwhile, so he was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law. So we have the third one, King David, right? You remember 1 Samuel 16 and 17? Samuel comes looking for the next king of Israel. And where is he found? He's a skinny kid, the ruddy young man out in the fields taking care of the family sheep. Normally, and this would normally be the job of the youngest son in the family. And then it would be passed on if another young son came up behind him. So here we have the greatest, arguably, king in the nation of Israel, God's man, whom God uses greatly, was a shepherd boy. So the Lord speaks in Ezekiel 34 too, and he says this, as a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flock, God says through Ezekiel, so I will look for my flock. Man, listen to the scripture. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a cloudy and a dark day. Have you ever felt as a follower of Jesus that God rescued you from somewhere that you may have strayed to? Or maybe God brought you back and rescued you from somewhere you, you have strayed from, right? And God rescued you. He knew where you were. And so God is portrayed in the book of Ezekiel as our shepherd. Many more, many more could be quoted. But you know, in the New Testament, Jesus is tightly connected to the shepherd motif, right? Jesus says, uh, I am the gate of the sheep, which I like even better, not as popular as Jesus also saying in that same chapter in the Gospel of John, I am the good shepherd. Jesus, I am. Jesus didn't say, I'm like a shepherd. He said, I am. The good. I embody everything that a shepherd is. If Jesus, if you're a Christian and he is your Lord and Savior, he is your shepherd and my shepherd and we are like his sheep. And he knows that sometimes we are going to stray. So we're talking about these shepherd guys and we could continue, but you remember David even mentions that the duties of a shepherd were tough, right? David said... Um, David had protected his sheep against lions, bears, wolves, uh, hyenas, leopards. They were all interested in some lamb chops for dinner, right? As a matter of fact, we also know sheep won't fight back. What they will do is, uh, or run or hide. Instead, when a predator appears, they gather together in a great big group, giving the predator a big choice on what sheep to pick for his dinner. So um, sheep don't even protect themselves very well from what can harm them. All right, I'm thinking about that now, but I'm not going to go there. But you can jot that down. If you're taking it, you can jot that down. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Okay, so, so we have these guys, these sheep, and the Bible says they're just out there at night doing their job. Now, I don't think they had a time clock, and how were a bunch of these shepherds all together at night, right? Were they hanging around the barn, you know? 
uh, getting that last cup of coffee before they punched in. The night shift guys all showed up at the same gate. Maybe they all worked on the same for the same guy, you know, and they all had to go out and take care of the sheep. But they're here. Um, and by the way, the spoiler alert, most people would be preaching uh, Luke 2, 1 through 8 because Jesus is born here. Spoiler alert, Jesus is born. Amen. So, so the angel says, don't be afraid. Um, but we have this idea of these shepherds now. Um, and maybe, maybe they are portrayed, um, you know, as these lowly guys who have a tough job. But we see, why would God appear to them? Next week, we're going to see God appeared um, through the angel to some wealthy rulers. So we have God calling wealthy rulers to come and worship Jesus Christ. We have God calling some guys just going out to do their job on the farm in the fields at night to come and worship Jesus Christ. The woman who would carry the Savior of the world in her body was a teenage girl somewhere between the ages of 14 and 18 years old. So when we talk about a graffiti, we talk about upside-down ministry. We talk about how God sometimes takes what the Bible says are the weak things in the world to show his strength. Uh, he really does. Amen? So, so he tells the shepherds then, uh, before I get carried away here, that uh, they, in verses 8 through 14, are receiving good news from the Lord. Verses 8 through 14, receiving good news from the Lord. Just a few thoughts in this account as well. Um, um, we're going to see on the next slide, A, the shepherds having an epiphany. So um, there's a difference between epiphany and theophany, right? Epiphany is, okay, I won't do that. That's kind of nerdy. Uh, somewhere in here I had the definition of an epiphany, but let it suffice to say the angel of the Lord showing up to them is an epiphany. Sometimes we say, I had an epiphany, right? That means like I had a bright idea or I remembered something I was supposed to do. Like if your wife asks you to do something and you almost forgot, you have this epiphany, right? I better do it before I get home. Yeah, one of those. But really, the angel of the Lord appearing to them is an epiphany. If God had appeared himself, it would be a theophany. So you say, why do we need to know? I have no idea why we need to know that. But the shepherds have this epiphany and they were scared. Angel of the Lord says, don't, uh, don't be afraid. But the message, as he's standing before them, and by the way, I, I think it's done on, at night on purpose. So picture the dark, dark night. They didn't have street lights, right? These guys didn't have flashlights on their cell phones when they went out. They didn't have flashlights to go out in the field. Think dark night, not far from Bethlehem. They're outside the town, but not too far from Bethlehem. And then the glory of the Lord lit them up. That's why they were terrified. Dark, right? Maybe can't see your hand in front of your face as you're going out to the field. Or maybe the stars are out in the sky. But then, boom, this epiphany hits you. And the glory of the Lord is shining all around you. And some dude that doesn't really look like a human uh, to you starts speaking. Right? So you get this picture late at night, or, or at least dark, and dark of the night, boom, lights lights it up, and these guys are like, whoa, right? And there's something special about this message. Um, one, we already said, he said, do not be afraid. But he says to them, he says, 
Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Now, going to go nerd on you here for a minute, but here it is. In the Greek language, it, it really makes it so much more demonstrative. Like if we were watching a movie, the producer of the movie would really want this to be a moment. Because in the Greek language, a megalane is where we get the word mega from in English, right? So mega, this is big, guys. It's huge. It's large. It's big. Megalain Charan Evangelizomai. He says, we're going to get big, joyful, good news. Big, joyful, good news. Evangelion is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the angel says, big, big news full of joy. And what is, what is the message? The message is good news of great joy. And he says to them, um, by the way, one, and we're going to talk about this in a minute too, it's going to be for all the people, but then he's going to say, for today in the city of David, there has been for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, if you is plural, maybe he's talking about all of Israel. He's talking about the Jews. If you is singular, or he could be talking about you shepherd guys here. But, there, this, but it's a personal message, and it's, but it's a big message. The message is the Savior of the world has come, but to you a Savior has been born in the city of David. See, remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago that in order to fulfill the scriptures and to know that it really was the Savior being born, one, he had to be of the line and lineage of David, and he was going to be born in the city of David, as the Bible predicted uh, in Isaiah and in Ezekiel. So they had, um, so Christ was born in the city that David came from, Bethlehem, in order to fulfill, in order to fulfill the scriptures. But the Christmas message of the, sometimes I struggle at Christmas, right? At Easter, you get it, right? The good guys win, man. Jesus is crucified, right? He sheds his blood on the cross for you and for me. And they kill him, but wait, but wait, what does he do? He raises, he rises from the dead, right? In order to give us eternal life, that is a strength. And the resurrection is a strength and power of the gospel so that you and I can have eternal life. And we all clap at the end on Easter because the good guys win. Everyone at Christmas likes to talk about nice little baby Jesus. I have babies already. Babies aren't always nice, man. Babies do gross stuff. I'm not supposed to be proud. I didn't change a whole lot of diapers when I was a young dad. I was not, um, I was, I know, I, I was not the compassionate young dad that I should have been changing diapers and gross stuff that, but yeah, I wasn't feeling it. Everyone talks about baby Jesus. I want to talk about the Savior of the world, amen? At Christmas, I want to talk about the Savior of the world. Christ was born. God did crazy stuff, right? We talk about we talk about Joseph, a regular guy. We talk about a teenage pregnant mother. So we talk about God does, God did some crazy stuff when the Savior of the world came to be with us in humanity. That is the good news of the message. Uh, I don't know if we're on the next slide yet, or are we? So we're talking about what is this good news in verse 11? Um, the Messiah, a Savior who is Messiah, who is the Lord. So, right out of the gate, he is the Savior. For Jews, this would be very meaningful. The Jews were looking for their Messiah to come. 
So the Savior is born. He is Messiah. That is what Christ means in, in the language. He is Messiah and he is Lord. Now here he's not saying Yahweh. He's saying Lord like he's your boss. Like back in the day, like back in the day, if you went to work, you might call your, you might call your boss Lord, little L, but you might call him that because that's kind of like, that was just the language back then. And so sometimes, I, I like to say sometimes we all like a Savior, right? No, nobody says, oh, pick me. Well, most people don't say, pick me, I'll go to hell. I mean, I've heard guys in a bar room drinking at night, being, being, being dumb. I was one up, but a long time ago. But um, nobody says, oh, pick me, I'll go to hell. No, everybody likes the idea of a Savior, but many of us don't like the idea of a Lord. See, I don't sometimes want to surrender my life to someone who will tell me to do something that might be challenging or will tell me to show me something about myself that I don't like or call me to a new level of spiritual growth when I'm real comfortable right where I am. Maybe I got my fire insurance. I know Jesus as my Savior. I'm certain of my salvation, but I don't want to go to that next level and live in obedience, right? This is where we get, he, he is the Savior of the world. He is Messiah. He's qualified, but he's also our Lord. When I surrender my life to Jesus Christ, when I become a follower of Jesus Christ, he becomes my Lord. Say, hey, Daddy, Lord, what do you want me to do? Pick the metaphor, right? If he's my Daddy, I can trust him. He's my Lord. He's my boss. And so I love that here. Uh, so that is what this good news is. And then we see in the text, why did I ask the question, is this message for us? Because he says to them in verse 11, for today in the city of David, there has been for you, uh, born for you, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Not only the Savior of the world, but a Savior for you and you and me. And so this message is personal. Yes, the message is for us. And now, you know, so I got to meet this guy one time quite by accident. Any of y'all know who Jeff Foxworthy is? I'm getting a little old now. He's a, he's a comedian. Um, and, and he does it. He claims to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He lives down in Georgia. And uh, uh, he, made a, he made a cameo at a youth ministry a conference I was at one time. I love Jeff. You might be a redneck if, you know, he's a comedian. And so I kind of get this here. The angel of the Lord says to these shepherds, here's your sign. He says, you might be a redneck if, and then he says these things that are very humorous. I won't repeat them all today. But, but the angel of the Lord, hey, guys, here's your sign. Here's your sign. You know, sometimes we do get a sign from the Lord. It may not be an epiphany. It may not be a theophany. That may not be how God deals with us in these days. But sometimes, um, sometimes when I'm reading the word of God, I hear it in my head. Hey, dummy, here's your sign. Now, I don't think, I don't hear audible voices in my head, but I'm saying, I get the idea, right? Is God speaking to me? Is God challenging me? Is God calling me? If you don't know Jesus Christ yet as your Savior and something's tugging at your heart, dealing with your conscience, and you can't get it out your mind, is God dealing with me? Hey, this morning, right before Christmas, here's your sign. But he tells the shepherds what they're going to see when they get there. And there is something, there is something important about that. Uh, he says, when you get there, this is, it validates the message, right? So the angel tells them before they get there what they're going to see. And simply put, um, they go. They go and you hear the verse here, and it was just as, and we'll hear it later, it was just as the angel had told them. The importance there, and I'm way out of order now, but I'm just going to do it. 
the importance there is God will always do what God says he is going to do. It may not happen when I want it to happen. I may not even like it because it might require something of me. Sometimes I'll even deny it if I don't want to obey it, right? But God always does what God says he's going to do. That's what I love about that verse closer to the end of this passage, that they saw it exactly as the angel had told them. And so responding to the good news, I told you it was only going to be two points. What I didn't tell you was there would be 12 more in between the two, but but nonetheless, what do the shepherds do? How do they respond to this good news? In verse 15, we see believing, believing the message. When the angels had gone away, uh, excuse me, from them into heaven, the shepherds began, they started having this conversation. Um, did you just see the same thing I saw? They said, yeah, yeah, I think so, dude. And the other one said, did you just hear, did all this? And they say, yeah, yeah, it did, right? And he said, let us go straight to Bethlehem and to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They believed the message of the angel and their believing takes place when their feet start moving from the field back to Bethlehem to see the baby. Amen. So I can say I believe something all day long, but until until I take action on that belief, you have, you have the privilege to question whether or not I really believe it, right? So when you see me going to Bethlehem, you say, okay, Charlie really believes the message. When someone comes to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, somewhere along the line, Somewhere along the line, people who see you on a regular basis are going to say, this guy, this woman, this girl, they're going, they're going in the direction that they said they were. They're going in the direction. They claim to know Jesus. They claim to be going to Bethlehem, and it looks like they really are. Now, look, we talk about don't judge me, and, and that's a whole other sermon for another day. If we're Christians, we are called, called to hold one another accountable, especially in our church. God calls us to do that. We won't go there today. But the bottom line is, if the Holy Spirit, if, if the angel of the Lord that's speaking on God's behalf tells me to go to Bethlehem, the proof's in the pudding. Which direction is Charlie going? Amen. So, so they believe, at least right now, did they spend the rest of their lives um, going to church and Sunday school and going on mission trips, these shepherds, I don't know. We don't, the Bible doesn't tell us. But we get a definite impression that they believed. And look, let's face it, you and I had some epiphany like that. We might tend to, right? I get it. The Bible says, blessed are those, blessed are you who having not seen, believe. Most of us here, unless you're a couple thousand years old, all of us here, we didn't see Jesus in the flesh. We didn't walk with him. We didn't have the uh, privilege like Thomas did of sticking my hand in the, in the side of resurrected Jesus. We didn't walk down a road with him like the disciples got to. But the Bible says, blessed are you, 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 and you, who are followers of Jesus Christ, though having not seen him, physically seen him, you believe. Man, that's faith, guys. That's real faith. So, so they believe the message. They respond immediately to the message, right? Not rocket science there. We can keep going. But then in verses 17 and 18, um, when they had seen this, 
they made known the statement which had been told them about this Messiah. Look, I think I probably would have too, at least for that night, right? Look, hey guys, they told everybody they saw. So from Bethlehem, probably going back to work that night, they told everybody what they saw. Uh, one of the writers, one of the guys that uh, writes one of the sources I read during the week when I'm studying said, they are probably in the Gospel of Luke, excuse me, they are the first gospel missionaries, right? They are the first guys who saw Jesus, heard the message of Jesus, and went out and told everyone that they saw about it. When you and I, when you and I believe the great, right, um, the Megalane Quran, yeah, I'm not even, I can't even say it now. When we believe that great good news of Jesus Christ, it will make you want to tell somebody. It will make me want to tell somebody. I know it's, I get a bully pulpit. I get to tell people every Sunday but I better be telling them Monday through Saturday too, amen? amen? But so these guys, these regular guys just going to work one night, right? They meet the Savior. They believe the message. They went right away. And once they went, they said, oh my Lord, this is for real. They wanted to tell everyone. They wanted to tell everyone this good news. You and I, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I possess the good news, the best news, that to us um, a Savior was born in the city of Bethlehem, and his name is Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen? There is no greater message. Some of the kids yesterday were at the birthday party for Jesus. We wanted them to know that Jesus Christ really is. Baby Jesus, whom we celebrate at Christmas, is the Savior of the world. Not just the reason we get some presents next week. Not just that uh, the reason we're nice to people for one week out of the year. Some of us can't. I struggle. Some of us can't even do that for a week. But never mind. Never mind. I shouldn't have said that. Too late. I'm being recorded. But yesterday, some kids heard about Jesus. This good news. When I interact with Jesus Christ, when God calls me to become his child at some level, um, there should be a desire in me to share this good news with others. And then, of course, we see, uh, I love Mary's response. So we're talking about responding to the good news, right? Mary's response. Somehow, this is always just precious to me. I don't know why. Maybe I'm getting old and sentimental. I don't know. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary meditated. Christ had been born. The shepherds had come. The magi weren't there yet. But So all these things going on. Her baby is born in a trough, in a barn, right? Diane and I, we didn't have much money. Um, we didn't have much money when we got married. The only reason we could afford to live somewhere that wasn't with both our parents was because um, the family owned the house we lived in, and the rent was real cheap. But here we have a teenage pregnant mom and a hardworking young guy. And uh, the baby Jesus, the Savior of the world, was born in a horse trough in a barn. We got a good story starting here, don't we? <laughs> Amen. Amen. We do. We do. But Mary meditated on this message. And you know, when God is doing something, I, and, and someone said it on the radio this morning, they said the greatest enemy of Christians today, he really did. Wow, that message was for me. The greatest 
enemy of Christians today is busyness. Especially in our culture and in our country. Why? Because I will hear something really good, like what I heard on the radio this morning, and I'll be like, mm, mm, what I'm driving, right? And I'll forget about it five minutes later, right? Why? Because I'm on to something else. I'm busy. I'm probably driving faster than I should be, hoping the lights stay green because I got lots to do today, right? Our enemy is busyness. Mary meditated on these things. She took the time to, she, uh, uh, she, she used the words, Charlie, they're going to come. She treasured, she pondered these things in her heart. Now, I'm not 25, 30 years old anymore. I need to ponder some things just so I remember them. But, but when something really is special to you and to me, you know, uh, we do sometimes, we need to slow down. See what God is doing. See, see what God is up to. What is God saying to me this Christmas, right? We're celebrating the birth of the Savior, amen? And we'll celebrate Christmas, hopefully, uh, with some loved ones or at least some people who care about you and you get to spend Christmas with them. But we have been given the privilege of receiving this good news that the Savior of the world has come. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are saved and you know him, if you've been born again, like Jesus said to Nicodemus, you and I now are like these shepherds. We're going to be, we need to be the missionaries that share this good news with others. I like the thought that these guys were the first missionaries in the Gospels. I never thought of them that way before. Somebody else said it, and I stole it and shared it with you. Um, so Mary meditated on these things. There's one more thing, and it is the last thing. And some of y'all saying, good, there's cupcakes in the back. That they left there worshiping and praising God because or uh, for the message. Verse 20, the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God. Watch this, here it is. For all they had heard and seen just as had been told them. So God appeared to them through the angel, told them something was going to happen. It happened just the way God said it would. These guys were amazed, terrified, and all of that at the same time. But look, when you meet the Savior of the world, when, when you interact with God, when you prayed to Jesus Christ or you become a follower of Jesus, it should cause you and me to go back home glorifying and praising God. Look, I don't go home every day glorifying and praising God. Sometimes I go home whining and complaining, right? But listen, there's something about that good news, that joyful, that great, joyful, good news, that somewhere inside of you and me, there should be times in our lives when we go back praising. These guys were going back to work. They were working a night shift out in the cold with some sheep that didn't behave very well. But they went back glorifying and praising God because they knew something special had taken place and they got to be part of it. Watch this. Special things are still taking place in our world that God is doing and we have the opportunity to be part of it. Shameless plug, experiencing God, our Bible study on Wednesday nights. When we see, when God is at work around you and me, he invites us to join him where he is at work. And then we say, if God calls you, he will certainly equip you to join him in that work. And then our next Bible study, we're going to talk about exactly how God equips us. Now, that's my favorite one, right? 
because the Lord, through his Holy Spirit, shows us his will in five different ways. And that's just a teaser. You've got to come Wednesday night to hear what they are. But, but so these guys went back worshiping and praising God because something special had happened. Now, look, the Savior of the world has been born. Jesus Christ, he, he was born. He lived. He died. He rose from the dead to save you and me from our sins. We have the opportunity to confess our sins, to cry out to him if we've never done it before, to fall on our faces and repent if we've never done it before. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I have the great opportunity and the great joy, even today, as you sit here and when you leave here, to share this good news with others. Or at least to continue worshiping and praising God because you, in a fresh way, have heard that, yes, the reason Christmas is special is because God still deals with the people that he loves, that he came to save. Amen? So they went back worshiping and praising God for the message. So we said really simple message. If you're like me and you struggle to remember more than two things, um, receiving the good news and responding to the good news. Today we have received the good news of Jesus Christ at the birth of the Savior. And how will you and I respond today? I need to have a little more glorifying and praising God in my life uh, because sometimes I get too caught up in the dumb stuff. Yours might be, your thoughts, your, your challenge might be totally different than mine, but God is calling you and me to glorify and praise him this Christmas. And first and foremost, that would be by knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior if you do not yet know him. Amen?